show it is a nerd edition i was listening to a podcast with the, with this guest earlier and somebody said we're gonna indulge our inner nerds i'm like no 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 you are nerds we're all nerds that's why we're here talking about college football on podcasts so bill Connolly from espn welcome you're just home it's not we're not indulging our nerdy side we are proud unapologetic nerds and here we are Right. I, I, I came at my nerddom in a slightly different way, but we're, yeah, we're all, we're all kindred spirits here. Exactly. Exactly. And, and for those who are not hip to it and you need to be, Bill is one of the godfathers of the analytics movement in college football. Uh, used to write for Football Outsiders, was at SB Nation, now is at ESPN, uh, created the SP Plus ranking, which is a, a predictive ranking. Is not the one we're all yelling about this week, by the way. That's ESPN's <laughs> other predictive ranking, the FPI, which is not not Bill's baby. So, uh, But we will have questions about that as well. Um, but now I wanted to talk to you because I, I had a story coming out that was analytically based and and wanted to talk to you a little bit about that one. And then you had a story on receivers in the draft that echoes something that I've been screaming about for the last few weeks. And I'm, I'm so glad to talk to you about it. But, but the, the story I wrote uh, for the athletic this week was about throwing or running on the first play of the drive. And, and it's, it came out Thursday. So Bill, you've, you've had a chance to see it, but it was really interesting to me seeing how much more likely you are to score if you just throw on the first play, uh, the numbers we can't, it can't, it's basically if you complete a pass of five yards or more, uh, you have a, about a 37.9% chance of scoring on that drive. And, and the other flip side of it, which is just crazy to me, is if you throw an incomplete pass, you basically have the same chance of scoring a touchdown on that drive as, as if you ran for five yards or less. So if you had a five yard rushing gain, which is a good play, it's, pretty negligible compare, compared to an incomplete pass, which was, was wild to me. But, I mean, you see this stuff all the time where, where you notice a statistical trend. That, does your head explode sometimes when you're like, how come nobody just does this? Yeah, I mean, it's two things with your piece today that um, made perfect sense. Um, I mean, number one, I do think, you know, when you just think about play calling in general, uh, there's just this sense of, you know, team trots out to start their possession. They're going to run the ball up the middle and then we'll figure out. Establish the run. That's what we do. That's who we are. Exactly. And I don't even know if guys think about it. It's just like, it's not even like a a conscious decision. It's just what you do. And, and that's the biggest, that's where analytics tend to have the most, uh, the earliest impact is just figuring out like, wait, why do you do that? Um, and then once you get to the, because it's what we do answer, then you go like, well, maybe that's stupid. Then maybe we should step back and figure out what is actually the best thing to do in these situations. So that made sense in that regard. And I mean, the other thing that makes sense is, you know, the success rate formula that I've been using that I've been, uh, you know, I would have never guessed that I would have used it this much when, when I started tinkering with it back in like 2007, but 
you know, I, uh, my, the most predictive measure in college football is this easy success rate measure where it's how frequently are you gaining 50% of your yards on first down, 70% on second, hundred percent on third or fourth. Uh, very easy, like on base percentage, very, very easy. It's like a gateway drug for a lot of other stats, I think for a lot of people, but bottom line is you're, you know, whatever the, the current averages are, you average X number of yards per pass and X number of yards per run pass numbers way higher. You're way more likely to gain five plus yards on first down. Like not even the first play of the drive, just the first play of any series of downs. You're more likely to get get that yardage passing. Well, and that's the thing, like a bad passing offense averages 6.5 yards per attempt. And that includes incompletions and everything. A great rushing offense averages five yards an attempt. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, the, the ball control aspect and all that, like it, it is more all or nothing, as you found out in that piece talking about Florida State, your your Florida State play calling. Sometimes you oh do my, throw I incomplete still, on I, first I still, down. It's like in the back of my mind, like we had an incomplete pass <laughs> on first down. It was second and 10. Why didn't I just get something? Like I understand right, where and those that, coaches and, are coming from. And that leads to another just pure offensive coordinator instinct, which is, well, crap, we just threw incomplete. We got to get at least three yards on second down. Let's run the ball on second down. When your best option, again, is throwing twice, second down, third down, second, whether it's second and 10 or whatever, throw two more times, you're more likely to gain 10 yards. I feel like if you play blackjack, like basic strategy, you, you would understand this better. Like why you should throw like <laughs> yep. on second and 10 why you should just throw it again because the averages say you're going to get what you're looking for this yep. time even if you didn't last time um but yeah, yeah it's, no it's, it's it really is it's it's all about odds versus i mean blackjack's a good comparison because you even if you understand the odds you still kind of have to have the guts for it because you know if i'm playing with real like if i'm playing on my phone i know all the like the spots where you're supposed to hit on 15 or 16 or whatever and i just like okay do it this is that scenario do it when there's real money on the line or a real job on the line you're like ah i don't want to bust I, i'll stay well exactly because like, you, eventually your, your money goes different. down to zero and then right it doesn't matter what the odds say you're out of money so yeah, but, but that's no, it's and, and the other thing hard. The other thing about it was that, that made this story interesting. I called Phil Longo because he's the offensive coordinator at North Carolina, and they had a just a massive split this past year. Where on the first, if they threw on the first play of the drive, they gained 10 yards more than what they gained if they <laughs> ran on the first, but they were both good. It was 16.7 throwing and like 6.4 running. So both of them were good, and both of them were better than those stats were last year, or and or in 2019. And he 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 quoted Bruce Lee, which I thought was fascinating because <laughs> he said he said what's what's Bruce Lee's fo- most famous quote, and and I I didn't know, and he said be water, and then explained to me kind of what that meant. Yep. <laughs> and then I thought about it in the context of an offensive play call, and then I thought about it in the context of an RPO team specifically. Right. Like. The reason they have this huge split is probably not because they're afraid to call passes on first, uh, on first play of a drive. It's that they're calling RPOs where Sam Howell has the choice to hand off or throw. Right. And so when he chooses to throw, which is probably about 40, which is about 40% of the time, it's because somebody's going to be wide open because the defense is stacking the box. Right. Right. That's, that's always been the thing with RPOs is, I mean, it's, it's the play action pass that you always get to call correctly. Um, you know, right. you never, your timing's always going to be right on them when you throw and, and like uh, it, they still, you know, 
I, I think we've come to understand through the years when, when we first started talking about RPOs, it was like this revolution. You're always going to have the right call. Like, well, I mean, you still have to be willing to run the ball for it to work. Like that, that, that is part of yeah. the option is when the pass isn't there, you have to be able to run it. So third nine isn't a good RPO down, but yeah, well, no, and, it's, and let's, it's, put your, it's, let's put ourselves in the quarterback shoes on an RPO and then, and then we can explain why it doesn't always work. You are watching <laughs> things happen while you have the ball in the belly of the back. Right. <laughs> you in the back have to have this kind of unspoken communication where you're either going to let him take oh, it yeah. or not. He needs to know that. And then also, there are large people trying to kill you at the same time. <laughs> Another problem that coaches have told me about that I just kind of laughed because I didn't even think about it is sometimes with RPOs, you run into problems too because the quarterback always wants to throw. He, he might yes. not be actually willing to hand the ball off all the time. He wants to throw the ball. It's like you know playing a video game. You want to be throwing the ball and you don't want to settle for handing it off. So you have to have the right mentality to execute RPOs, but clearly – what, what they're doing in North Carolina, I mean, unless they're playing a Notre Dame level defense, what they're doing in North Carolina is uh, pretty optimized at the moment. Yeah. And the thing is, you can you can tell how that works a lot, you know, with the defense and, and they're not afraid to throw in the first play of drive because that's what they did against Notre Dame because they had right. to. There, was, there wasn't another <laughs> <Right>. choice. They, <laughs> they were facing a talent deficit there and they had to do it. And then they're playing Wake Forest. Wake Forest takes a huge lead. Of course, you've got to got to do this so situationally right. you, you got to you got to and of course they didn't do it against virginia tech or miami well you're averaging 10 yards a carry against miami and nine <laughs> yards a carry against virginia right. tech like you should never throw if you're doing that no 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 but it is good it, it's i mean the rpo in general we we always talk about you should run or you should pass like we, they called a run here they called a pass well a lot of times they didn't they just called they the called play both. and it became whatever yeah. it became yep <laughs> Well, it, it, but it, it is interesting because you talked to a lot of coaches when you did your book, Study Hall. And, yeah. and I'm curious, do you feel like people are more willing or about the same level of willing to question why they do the things they do and then look at the numbers and try to determine whether they can do something better? Yeah, I think there's like there's two steps to evolution in this regard. Um, one of them is questioning yourself and and ask and having other, bringing people in to ask questions of you uh, to kind of challenge you in that regard. It, it, when it comes to play calling and tendencies and when you go for it on fourth down, all those things. And then there's actually doing it on Saturdays. Um, and I think for for step one, we're absolutely much further down the line here. You know, even if it's just you know, I always re uh, reference championship analytics. Just the fact that they've got a lot of teams in college mm -hmm. that where they hand them a binder every single week because you still can't have computers in the booth, can't have the iPad with the giant logo on the back like in the it's pros. It's still just, just baffling binders. Like an iPad it's costs <laughs> like two hundred bucks. Every school can and, afford. It's there's there's no there's no rev, you know resource gap there in terms of buying four iPads. No, and and you can even even if the wireless stinks in the in the press box, which I'm sure it does in places uh, still. Uh, you, you know, it doesn't cost that much more to get the plan with the with the cell service on your like. We can figure this out. It's 2021, yes. but you still don't do that. Championship still just hands binders to every team to print or like to they print out stuff for all Hold the on. different scenarios for when <laughs> you find it. Yeah, and 
and and so you've got that binder among many other binders in your in your press box but i think just the 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 uh, people are understanding we're further down the road when it comes to understanding like this is probably the right call here's where here's where you should hit on 15 or 16 um in these scenarios and and of course army's done it um you know, Lane Kiffin, every single uh, broadcast uh, of every single Ole Miss game last year, they're like, he follows the analytics. Like, well, sort of. But he did. He went for it on fourth down. Well, the, the, um, and the thing about Lane that, that I find fascinating, and I don't, I don't even know how we can quantify this, but they seem to train their players to know this is when we're going yeah. for it. Right. And so there is no you don't get that 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 moment where you see the players staring at the sideline, making the first down signal like, let's go for it. Like they just go line up and run the play. And half the time, that's what gets them the yards. Right. Yeah. And Matt Corral knowing like on third and seven, I don't have to get seven yards. If I get four, we're probably going for it. Right. Just that kind of understanding and, and three or less. We are going for it. Right. Right. I don't have to get it all here. I can check down if, if this is, if nothing else is working, like just that understanding um, that to that level, I think the team's instincts have changed a little bit, but I do think there's still a gap between what you know you should do and actually doing it in the, in the five seconds you have to make that decision on Saturdays. I think that's, we're still catching up in that regard. That part hasn't caught up yet. Yeah. It's, and it is hard. I mean, just in the very tiny little slice of it I got at Florida State, you, your instincts say, get something here. Just right. get something. <laughs> like, yep. They don't say, the math tells me to do this. And, and I do wonder if doing it over and over and over again, does that help, help you understand right. that the math might work out in your favor? Or does it just reinforce that I got to get something here? Right. Well, and so much of it depends. I mean, even, you know, you call 60, 70, 80 plays in a given game, it adds up over time, but every single, like any drive can end after three play. Well, after one technically, but after three plays uh, in a lot of cases. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I do think, and and part of it is just like with championship, especially I I talk to those guys every year at AFCA. Well, when AFCA is a thing, I talk to them. Right. Um, And they, you know, it, so much of this comes down to like a lot of coaches are all in, but then some coaches are like, okay, whatever, let's, you know, yeah, let's get, let's get the binder, whatever it is. And the first time they go for it in a situation that's against their instincts, um, like a fourth and five from the 40 or something, whatever that is, where the book says go and they don't, they'll go for it if they don't get it it's going to take like the trust is gone immediately yes, and, right. and, and you're over one. And so it takes a long time to kind of work back to actually trying it again. in one of those against your instinct situations. So it is, I mean, it's, I, and I understand like the, the amount of money, like the jobs on the line, the amount of money on the line, like I get why that fear kind of creeps in. I don't want to, I, I never like make fun. Well, too, I don't try to make fun of coaches too much for such a thing. No, uh, but I do yell hard, at my TV when it. they punt on on fourth and two in plus territory. Right. Yes. Yeah. I, and we we have this instinct too on Twitter. Like anytime they punt in opposing territory at all, we 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 complain. But like fourth and eight, odds aren't great on fourth and eight. And yeah, you know, it's hard, I can, it's hard I can, to make fourth. If you and have eight. a punter, right? If you can pin them inside the ten, that's still a nice value. So I, I try to keep that in mind. But yeah, when you're fourth and two, fourth and three, and you and you punt from the from the forty one or whatever, come on, dude. All right, I want to talk about the story that, that you put up on Thursday. 
about the receivers in the draft because this is this this feeds into something that's been driving me insane. So uh, a few <laughs> weeks ago, I proposed using Jimmy Johnson's trade value chart. I didn't just pull this out of my my hoo ha. Yeah. Uh, that the Jaguars should should offer the Bengals number 25, number 33, and number 45 in exchange for number five, which that works on the Jimmy Johnson chart. I don't know if it works on some of the newer mm. ones, but it's close. And the the thinking being that the Bengals, if you're not committed to taking Pinay Sewell there or Kyle Pitts mm. there, get out of it because you can get a receiver pretty much anywhere. And and Bengals fans were like, no, 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 man, we're we're drafting Jamar Chase. He and Joe played together, and and we and then you saw the meme <laughs> of, uh, you know, J- Joe Burrow trying to throw to Jamar Chase while getting sacked, and then Joe Burrow with Penny Sewell <laughs> blocking someone and throwing to just about anyway. Right. So, the, but the the story you wrote <laughs> is about how many good receivers are flooding yeah. into the NFL, and the reasons why. You know, NFL teams are throwing more. College teams have thrown more. I mean, I'll go. I'll go even further. I, I I would say this goes back about twenty years into high school, when high school offenses yeah. became yeah. more pass dominant. When seven on seven became a thing that kids did every summer. Think of the number of reps: Devonte Smith, Jamar Chase, uh, Deami, all uh, Deami Brown, all these receivers that are going to be in the draft this year. Think of the number of reps they have had with quarterbacks against dbs and then think about how many balls they've just caught in games whether that was in high school or in college yep yeah i I mean it it was funny when i was sketching this out like it it felt like the most obvious thing in the world like why are more receivers going higher in the draft well teams are throwing more and college teams are throwing more and like i mean it's very obvious when you think about it but it has been a very steady shift one thing i absolutely wanted to mention in that piece um, is also, it's not just about how much you're throwing. It's like now some of the star recruits that would have been running backs 20 years ago are receivers. So even mm-hmm. from like, you know, just in terms of where the blue chip ch- talent is playing on the field, there's more quote unquote blue chip talent out at the uh, receiver position. Now guys, like it was funny. I, I went just purely on height weight. I didn't want to go too far down the, like, you know, who, what skill sets and whatnot. But if you look at just pure height and weight, guys like Julian Fleming and Garrett Wilson could have been like, might've been running backs 20 years ago. Uh, Meanwhile, guys like Joe McKnight and DeMarco Murray, if they were 2021 prospects would have quite possibly been wide receivers. Joe McKnight, Joe McKnight would have been an unbelievable receiver. In, well, that, in and my game. thing is like you shouldn't take a, a running back in the first round unless you think he'd be he'd make your team as a slot receiver. Yeah, yeah, and and I you know I, one of my favorite guys from 2019 was Kenny Gainwell. I, he's not he's not big. Oh, yeah. uh, he's not the single fastest guy. He's going to go in the mid round. He's not a first round prospect by any means. But the way Memphis used him was like a glimpse into the future, just in terms of having a guy who can line up in the backfield and actually run the ball uh, in a straightforward run game kind of way, but who can motion out into the slot and catch a quick pass or run a real route um downfield like not probably not the uh, most he's not jamar chase from a route running standpoint but he can when you if if he's on a linebacker he can absolutely beat that linebacker and so the versatility of skill sets in that regard i think is becoming more important uh both in that way and just being able to catch the ball and run up field the christian mccaffrey's of the world who have proven to do a really good job of that are now the best running backs in the league so well and and the versatility matters too this is you you included a chart that i thought was great 
where you had percentage of snaps on the outside and percentage of snaps in the slot for receivers that are coming right. into the draft. And like it's it's very telling when you look at the top three, <clears throat> Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, um, especially Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith. They're almost 50-50 outside yeah. and slot. I mean, that is and, – and, because my thing – and it's the same in college as in the NFL. If you can change personnel groups without changing people, right. without taking anybody right. off the field and giving it away, because you can move them around, you can motion everybody around, and, and this is offense or defense, you can really mess with your opponent's head. Yes. <laughs> that's one of my so, favorite quotes that I've ever gotten from a coach was kept talking to Kevin Wilson last year about the, my big, I did a big thing about how the spreads evolution. Now how it is the pro style offense and all that. And he basically talked about that 2008 Oklahoma offense where he was just like, yeah, we can go to big to small without transfer uh, without uh, substituting. Mm -hmm. Like we can be bunch. We can line up Jermaine Grisham out wide. We can line them up uh, in the backfield. Like that, that becomes just a nightmare for defenses. Well, that's why when you have a good versatile tight end, like, can he play fullback? Yeah. Because if he can, <laughs> you've just added another dimension to your offense. Yeah. Is it, I, I was interested. And I think the, that's the, the, the new coordinator at Illinois, the new offensive coordinator in Illinois, who was at Appalachian state last mm -hmm. year. Yeah. He'll play with, with what looks like fullbacks, but they're tight ends. And, and my thinking is like, if you can recruit three good tight ends, there's some crazy stuff you can do. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I, we'll see what they can recruit at Illinois. That generally seems to be their problem. But, um, no, like being able to – really, you don't even need a five-star tight end to be able to do those things. He just has to be, uh, like, good at, at a few different things. He doesn't have to be elite at a few different things to really get value out of them. So um, that will be kind of interesting to see. They, I mean, they do have kind of a weird set of personnel this year. So we'll see. He might be able to figure out some things to play with. Yeah. Well, but and then going back to the, the draft and the receivers, you know, where was the best rookie receiver drafted last year at number 22? It wasn't yeah. the first guy off the board. It was the I think right. Justin Jefferson was the third or fourth receiver off the board. So, you know, it and that that's my point is if you, you there are going to be a bunch of really good yeah. receivers in the draft, probably for the next four or five years until everything else catches up and everything else normalizes. There's not going to be another Penny Sewell. Probably there's probably not going to be another Kyle Pitts <laughs> for a little while. So take the guy you can't necessarily get either lower in the first round or next year. Yeah. And I mean, I'm willing to listen to arguments that either Chase or Smith are just otherworldly like they're they are top 10 level uh special kind of you can't get these guys every year i'm willing to listen to those arguments for sure but i mean you do you do scroll further down if you're talking about trying to get pits in the first round and then it just a receiver in like the third you're still going to have the amari rogers's maybe deami brown although like I, I if you watch deami brown i don't know why he would fall out of the first round but uh, I, I, he's I out, he's there hip, hip to deami brown now yeah yeah. Yeah. I, I would hope so. But then like the Rondale Moore and Tutu Atwells who are, who can immediately make a difference in the slot, but can line up wide as well. Like those guys are going to be available in the second or third round, potentially. I, I might line up Rondale Moore at running back as well. <laughs> he's he's like just, just make that part of the like, package. Well, I, I, it hit me over time. Like, um, 
you know, I live in Columbia, Missouri still. I go to Missouri ga- games. I uh, didn't last year, obviously, but um, like they played Arkansas State a, lo- a while back when, the, when Arkansas State had J.D. McKissick. And like, uh, you know, that dude, he weighed like 180 pounds. It was all in his abs. Like he had just, it was all core. You couldn't actually tackle him. He just bounce off of you. But they line him up in the slot. They line him up wide. They handed him the ball out of the backfield and he was good at all of it. And and I think well, that's it, the per, kind Percy of like Marvin at Florida. Same, yeah, same thing. Exactly. Yeah. But Rondale, I think, is a very good example of that kind of guy. Yeah. Now, I, I'm excited to see – I'm always excited to see how creative coaches use their talent because I just, yeah. I just kind of wonder, like, would Urban Meyer want to get Kadarius Toney? Like, because they've got the, the first pick of the second round. they got number 45. Yeah. I would think Tony's probably around there. Is that some – because he's got some Percy-like qualities, you know? Would he want to would, – would Meyer yeah. want to try to do that? Because he's had a guy like that yeah, before. He- and he he had of those uh, distributions that I posted, he had by far the most interesting. Like two thirds of his catches are out of the slot, but then like sixteen percent are lined up in line. Like at, at not, yeah. I mean, obviously he's not a blocking back, but kind of in that position. Uh, which I mean, in the NFL, they do. If you're against man, they will run those bunch formations where he could just be terrifying out of that. He lined up wide. He lined up in the backfield. He'd be really interesting too. Yeah, the 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 trick with him is they had to kind of force feed him touches really until his senior year. And so right. can he, you know, can he operate within the flow of an NFL offense, which is going to be more complex than, than what they ran at Florida. So that, that's the tricky right. part with him. But, the, but again, creative coaches will figure it out. Yes. <laughs> they, they will find a way to uh, use I, somebody. And I do feel better about the level of creativity. I mean, I, I don't want to over, I don't, you know, overstate this exactly, but um, it did feel like for years and years uh, with the spread talent coming out of college, uh, you know, offensive coordinators at the pro level were, were trying to force the square peg into the round hole. And, um, you know, especially at the quarterback position when they were always, you know, college isn't producing any guys who are ready now. Like, well, they, they, they can throw passes. They can read, like ha- move their direction. Don't just make them do everything that you've done for 20 years. And I do feel like in 2021, we are much further down that road where, where yeah. offensive coordinators are realizing like, we can do a lot of things with guys with with skill A, B, and C. It doesn't necessarily have to be something that I've been doing for the last twenty years of different teams. That's exactly right. And and I remember talking to Dabo Sweeney about this seven or eight years ago, and he was explaining how early in his time as a head coach, it, it dawned on him, "Hey, I'm going to get fired if I don't get yeah. this going." And <laughs> so I can complain all I want about quarterbacks coming out of high school not being able to take snap from under center, or I can just meet right. them where they are. And right. that, that's what he did, and it has worked out quite well for him. Okay, quite well. If Nick Saban can do it, then then we can all do it. Like we can all, if he can accept that maybe you win games with offense now, and then he goes out and builds the most perfect offense we've ever seen. See, like maybe everybody else tr- can do it too. Here's the greatest trick Nick Saban played on the world. He complains about that publicly, while privately <laughs> he's already yes hard at work building the yep. thing that like. When he was complaining about the up-tempo stuff, he was already yep. changing the type of personnel he was recruiting. <laughs> so he, he's yep. just he's he's got you watching his right hand, but his left hand is is already building, you know, three years ahead of, ahead of you. <laughs> that was our joke for a long time, was that quote where he's like, Is this what we want college football to be? He was just asking for verification. Like, oh no, no, seriously, is, is this because that's what I'll that, do that, if that's what we that, want that to wasn't be. that wasn't a complaint, that was a threat. 
Right. So. And then and then we see what happens when he when we when we said yes, he said okay, and then yeah. he destroyed everybody with that. So the big news this week was ESPN's FBI came out and it, it's a you know, football power index, it's a predictive index and and basically it's saying, you know, we we think this team will be favored in this many games and um, there's a lot of ingredients that go into the stew. But the takeaway, the, the thing that everybody was shocked by <laughs> is Iowa State at number four and Mississippi State at number eight. I'm not going to get you to defend FPI or trash FPI. I, I know that you enjoy staying employed. But can you explain <laughs> to the folks how the, the Iowa State thing I understand, and we'll get into it when we talk yeah. SP+, Plus <clears throat> because they are ranked high in SP+, Plus and there's, there's a very good reason for it. The Mississippi State one is the one that's a little shocking to me. Yeah, and, and it would make sense above anything else. It would make sense if this was the year where every single projection system that comes out has completely different rankings than a normal year. Because FPI also kind of hates the Pac-12, and my number is like the Pac-12 more than it has in in a very long time. It just right. it, because of the fact because the factors are so weird because so many teams return so much of last year's talent more than ever before. Like the returning production figures that I come up with without getting into like all the weights and everything <clears throat> like in a normal year teams will return like on average about 63% of last year's production. And that's again, like quarterback uh, passing yards. Well, you're is and you're doing offensive heavier. line snap counts. You're doing, you're doing right. a lot of it. It's, right. it's based on than, than you think. Right. It's based on all the things that I can put together for um, you know, just what impacts next year's change. And so um, normal year, that's like 63%. I've, I've just about got all G5 rosters updated now. And currently the national average is 75%. Like normally wow. 75% would get you into like the top 30 of, of returning production. And now it's the average this year. So Except when everybody BYU. returns, everybody. Every, nobody's returning Except to BYU. BYU and Northwestern. BYU and Northwestern. I, I did love that, you know, Nicole uh, got uh, Kalani Satake to basically say like, yeah, we were too good last year. Everybody had a great senior year. They didn't have a reason to come back. Well, but, also, I mean, um, let's let's be honest. They're like 24. They're married. They got two kids. I mean, it is a, a senior at BYU. I, I'm not really making light of this. A senior at BYU is in a different place in his life. Yeah probably than a senior at a lot of other places because of the two year mission. So, I mean, yeah. that that probably has something to do with it. But I mean, I think you absolutely have a, a point, but um, just aside from those two teams um, and, and I guess Northwestern isn't nearly as bad as BYU in that regard, but I, I, so many outside of Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, like everybody returns last year's starting quarterback, it seems. And um, the Pac-12, especially since they were the anti-BYU and they got no senior seasons, I, everyone's coming back for the Pac-12. And so my numbers react to that differently. FBI reacts to that differently. And everybody has pretty different projections. That makes perfect sense in this dumb year that we've lived through. Yeah. But like, yeah, Iowa State, I mean, they have Iowa State higher than my SP Plus does, but barely. Like, I have them seventh, um, like a point behind number five right now. Um, with, with and a that fourth change year starting much. quarterback, because you, you weight the quarter, right. returning quarterback more. And, and right. Iowa State <clears throat> not only has a returning good quarterback in Brock Purdy, but he's a fourth <laughs> year starter. Yeah. And they have, um, I mean, they've they've pieced together two of the most unique things that you can, and that's you know number one, a Heisman level quarterback or something close to it. I mean, he's not going to be a favorite, right. but he's going to be on the list uh, who wasn't a, a five star blue chipper. And then they have uh, one of the best skill core guys in the country who wasn't a blue chipper. And so, 
like those are kind of two requirements in terms of like the upside you need to, to play at a top 10 level. Those are two requirements and they have them and we know they have them. It's not even a surprise that we're, we're not even suggesting that those guys could be that good. They already are. We already know that. So um, yeah, like I have them seventh. Like they, it makes sense that they're in the top 10. Now, we're going to learn something this year about upside just in terms of like team wide upside and does this having this extra, this massive amount of experience does it create more upside or, or have they already hit their ceiling and there's no way they can advance beyond it? Yeah. This, That's this feels be like an NCAA basketball tournament where there's a bunch of mid majors that right. start five seniors who have played together for four years. Right. Right. Louisiana um, brings back just about everybody. They, they lost a couple of good running backs, but they have more good running backs that bring back yeah. everybody else. Um, yeah. Yeah. There are going to be a lot of those teams and it's kind of a shame. We don't have, a lot more like there are like Louisiana, Texas in week one, we've got some really fun non-conference matchups among these teams, but it does kind of stink that like some of the mid majors that could be awesome aren't necessarily going to get all that many opportunities to prove it outside of, you know, games against each other. Well, let me, let let me, let me give you one of those though, because there is a a mid major and perhaps the best mid major has some, has a non-conference game that could actually make a difference with the committee. Yeah. But it, so, and, and it's interesting because of the way SP plus handles this particular team. So, so you got Cincinnati 15, Notre Dame came in at 25 and yep. now I know Notre Dame's a deal where they're, they're favored in most of their early games. They're favored in most of their late games. It's the middle for them. That's, that's kind of a that, bunch that, of that middle is obnoxiously bad. Yeah. But the, the, the crazy thing, if you're Cincinnati, you need Notre Dame to be great every game except the one where you play them. You need to you need yep. to beat them, and then they have to win everything else, and then that's that's gravy. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, getting Indiana and Notre Dame back to back is awesome, and then you know even well. I guess I'm looking at their AAC schedule. It's not amazing. They do play UCF early on, but they finish with USF, ECU. So SMU still could be pretty good. They play them pretty late. But right. and uh, they'll, they'll but I, I mean, even, the championship game if they if they reach it. Yeah. Right. And so we're looking at this and like I, I'm trying not to just default to what we know always happens or always has in the past, where even a team that does score a great September win, when they start playing their own conference, we just forget all about them. Um, well, by I, me I go back in this case, I mean the committee. 2016 Houston. If 2016 yep. Houston had run the table in conference, I think they would have made the playoff <clears throat> because they beat I, the eventual Big 12 champ and they beat the, the, the second place ACC team with the Heisman winner. I still, don't, I, I still don't have faith in the committee. I think they top out at like six. Like I still just don't. And it's pure theory, obviously, but I just don't. Yeah have any faith in the committee to take them to, you know, the, like even if you played Louisville and Oklahoma, well, you didn't play the rest of the big 12 schedule. You didn't play the rest of the ACC <laughs> right. schedule. And they always come up with a reason to discount it. And I just assumed they would have been too. And Houston would be like, great, put us against Clemson in the first round of the playoff and we'll, we'll solve and, that. <laughs> And it's so frustrating because we know that's where this is headed. Now, I, I don't think it's a guarantee that the G5 gets a, an auto bid. Like, that'll be the I, most I, I, annoying I thing in the world. From a, from a please don't sue I, us I, standpoint. Well, I, that I appreciate. And I hope that's actually right. Because that would be just the biggest uh, kick in the butt. It's like, okay, fine. 18 playoff. They still don't get in. But um, 
but no, I mean, it's we, we do this every year. We know where this is headed, but we have to now do this is college football where we have to do a song and dance for the next 15 years until we get what we knew we were going to get all along. So that part's super annoying, especially when teams like Cincinnati who had a top four case, there's not even a top eight to qualify for. It's just it's very frustrating. Well, I, I'll be fascinated to see what happens this year. So what what is the reason Notre Dame is down as far as it is this particular year? So and and again, I mean, I can only I can speak from my numbers. I, I don't remember where FPI had them. I'm sure it's probably a decent amount higher. I think they're a little so higher. I'll check for yeah. Um, so yeah, right now they're 25th in in SP plus. The two reasons for that: number one, Ian Book is gone, and obviously bringing in uh, Jack Cohen from Wisconsin helps in that regard because I plug there his his production in at Wisconsin right. into the overall numbers, so that helps a little. And you've you've but done that with transfers reason, for all of these schools, right? Right, and this year, of course, I had to scale everything to where everybody played a 12 game season because you can't like if a guy who played 12 games transfers to a team that played four, and suddenly yeah. you have like 200 percent of last year's production back. That doesn't really work. Well, that's why, and, but, and um, I noticed, I noticed, like you had Oregon pretty high originally back in February, and, and originally Tyler Shook was was the returning. Now, if you watched Oregon at the end right. of the year, you're like, I don't know if Tyler Shook's going to be the starting quarterback <laughs> next year, but he's definitely not now because he's transferring. Right. No, Oregon fans are like, well, that's just ridiculous. We're not going to drop off at all without him. Like, well, he was, they still thought he was the best quarterback on the team for most of last season. Like he, he, he still, you're upside. But anyway, um, with Notre Dame, number one is that any team that does lose their starting quarterback outside of those top three that were so far ahead of everybody else, it's going to hurt you a little bit more. Biggest thing though, um, Notre Dame was, I believe fourth in SP plus heading into the Clemson game. I believe they ended up 16th in SP plus because not only did they lose to Clemson and Alabama, they basically played in such a manner that the results that they got were the best case scenarios, especially right. against Alabama, where everything they did, it was like they were trying to lose by 17 points and they did. And congratulations. They got the late touchdown and all that, but that like SP plus basically looking they at covered, the raw Bill. stats that that game right, they covered SP plus looking at the raw stats from that game, saw like a 36 point Alabama win. And it was like 30, two or 33, I think for Clemson as well. And so it basically saw those games and thought, Oh, well, Notre Dame's upside isn't nearly as high as I thought dropped them to 16th. And then when you see 16th and you lose your starting quarterback, then suddenly the ranking in the twenties doesn't seem, it seems a little more logical in that way. So yeah, really with SP plus it, it came as much down to how badly they got pushed around by Clemson and Alabama as anything else. Notre Dame, by the way, in, in FPI, uh, ranked 11 with a projected win-loss record of 8.3 and 3 and 7. So, And and it, honestly, like 11 and 25, like if you asked me where if I was if I was an AP poll voter, I'd probably put them around 16 to 18. <laughs> so that well, actually, and, and, uh, that kind of balances this is, out, I this think. This is the other part that, that as a former AP poll voter, I tell people and they never believe me. Like the difference between 12 and 35 a lot of times pretty negligible. Yeah. And I mean, you can kind of see that just looking in the point totals with SP plus as well, where like, yeah, Alabama's up here at 30.7 to start and they're a couple ahead of everybody, everybody else. But then like number 10, North Carolina is at 21.7. Number 20, Utah is at 17.7. There's a four point difference between 10 and 19. There's a four point difference between one and four. And then a four point right. difference between 10 and 19, number 19 and number 31. Yeah, the, the, it's a bell curve. And, and once you start to get outside of the top five or 10, those teams are not separated by much. 
Yeah, and and but God forbid I rank your team twenty three and somebody else's team <laughs> is is would just have made it if I got down to twenty six. But now the people who like number twenty six are really mad. Well, exactly, and twenty six is like fifty in these rankings too. Like if you're, if you're not right. in a, if, like that, that from a perception standpoint, I think we just, we can't really get past that. If you're, you're not 26, you're unranked. You are with just, the, the, the commoners. I just go full on sec honk at that point. I'm like, why do you care if you ain't first or last <laughs> quit asking me about number 23? Why do you aspire to be number 23? That's right. And by the end of the year, 21 through 25 are just the teams with good records that we that we cram into right. the end of the rankings, whether we think they're any good or not. So, it, it, yeah, it's there's no perfect way to do this. I think that is a yeah. I always think that's a feature, not a bug of college football. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I'm ready for, you know, I always say that, you know, even even if we know who's going to end up in the national title game, there's still just silliness and chaos and lots of weird stuff happening just beneath the surface. I'm ready for another 2000 where all the chaos and silliness was above the surface again, like where we don't just have the same top three or four every single year. That'd be amazing. Uh, and I'm I, I'm holding out at least a smidge of hope for that this year just because everybody returns their starting quarterback, but Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State don't. Like, I'm still hoping that oh, maybe there's – they're still going to be awesome, but maybe they get upset once or twice. And, and that the, makes the number difference. of potential true freshmen starting quarterbacks at, at elite programs, or even just first time starting yeah. quarterbacks at elite programs. There's a lot this year. And I, I think that's going to produce some variability. Thank God. Cause, cause the sport needs it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's been fun writing about FCS this spring. Um, and, and just like the, the absolute silliness that happens every single week there because the talent levels are so close and half the games are decided by like seven or eight points or less. Um, that's been really, it's been a nice little energizer for me because yeah, by the end of the year, you know, the teams that previously we could at least hope that like the, the teams like USC that looked inevitable, they still probably lose to Oregon state and make things really weird. Alabama doesn't lose to anybody. Clemson, Trevor Lawrence only lost to playoff teams. Like the, we, we haven't had that level of silliness hit the top level of the sport in a while. We need it. Bring it back. I'm ready. I'm ready <laughs> for your next SP plus. Cause your, your first one, I think you had LSU down at 26. Those people are going to, yeah. are going to go crazy. They're going <laughs> to yell at you. I, it's my favorite part when people get really mad at bill, because of what the, the computer spits out. And we'll see, like I haven't, um, I tried to get through all of the super seniors that were returning to P5 schools for those projections. I didn't get to all the G5s because it was just, you couldn't find the information. But now that I've got those rosters updated, like a lot of G5s are returning like 90 plus percent of production. There are going to be a lot of top 30, 40, 50, 60 level uh, G5 teams that could absolutely kind of cause some silliness in September at the very least. All right. You heard it here first. Silliness <laughs> in September. Print the t-shirts. Let's do it. Bill Connolly, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.